Uh, Father, as I prayed last week, I will pray the same this week. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth and in the gymnasium at the Boys and Girls Club in Elizabethan, Tennessee, in the same way that your will is done in heaven. Give us this day the daily bread from your word. May we hear from you and your word, and may it stick with us, and may every other word that I speak be forgotten. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, the sermon series, you've heard this if you've already been here, it's gospel, G-O- so on and so forth. So each one of those letters means something. Um, there's a book recommendation. We threw it out last week. Several of you have already ordered it. If you haven't, you might want to write it down. It is What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. Um, Amazon, it's probably under $10, but I encourage you uh, to read this. So we're going to jump into today of who God is, and then next week we're going to talk about the obstacle of sin. So today's sermon is God, He is holy, and He is perfect. So I've, I've got several things written down here, and I can't tell you all these stories, so I'm going to hit the highlights. Um, places I've gone, things that I've seen. The Grand Canyon. How many of you all have been face-to-face with the Grand Canyon? The Eiffel Tower? Ah, very good, yes. Um, New York City? Okay. Um, the Grand Tetons? Who has seen the sunset at Seabrook Island, South Carolina? Of course you have. You were with me. And you probably have, haven't you? Yeah, you probably have. There's a lot more of these. But as I started thinking about some of these experiences, like I was with my mom and my dad when I was in junior and high school, and we drove and drove and drove and drove and drove and drove, and we finally got to the Grand Canyon. What words do you use to describe the Grand Canyon? Does a picture really show you what the Grand Canyon looks like or the Grand Tetons? And it doesn't have to be um, something like that. It could be an experience. So like Adam, this is Adam, raise your hand, Adam. Adam and I, we were foolish enough to get on a bus last year at 6 o'clock in the evening, and we rode on the bus all night long and slept none, and we got up, and by 6 a.m., 6.15, we were eating bagels in Central Park, New York City. And then the day, the whole day was just jam-packed with goodness. And we were on top of the Rockefeller Plaza, and the sun was in the, the sky. It was just perfect. How do you describe the perfect day so that people can see it and they can understand it in the same way that you experienced it? I took lots of pictures, and I can show you those pictures. Is it going to be the same? I look at the pictures, and I'm like, ah. Oh, it doesn't do it justice. Okay, so throwing it out there to you, who has seen something or experienced something majestic? Okay, where? Just throw them out to me. What have you seen? Ah, that was on my list too, and I didn't even mention it. That's good. A picture, you think that would like bring us there? Okay, what else? No, no. <laughs> Frankie's like, no, pictures, no cameras allowed. Okay, what else? Okay, okay, very good. So if you describe it, you think we would have the same physical sensation that you had? No, no way. Yes? The beach? Ah, there's nothing like it. I've got a friend. He's a really, really good friend of mine. He is about 65 years old. He's never been to the beach. What a travesty, right? Um, what else? Yes, go ahead. 
Excellent. A, ooh, does it have to be a bald eagle? Can it just be an eagle? <laughs> anyway, yes, it's bald is special. It was a special, special eagle. That's where we're going today. So we're going to read two passages in a moment. And in these passages, you're going to hear this descri- these descriptions of God as best as we can see in these passages. But there's no way that they can truly explain how big and how awesome that God really is. But they're attempting to. And we're going to do our best to look at the photograph and to hear about the, you know, the jump or the climb or the top of the Rockefeller Plaza or the jazz concert. Oh my gosh, it was amazing! But you'll never know. But we'll do our best to describe it. So that's what we're going to do with our passage this morning. So Jana's going to read in a moment. But before she does, two passages, let me give you a quick intro. We're going to hear from Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Christ came. Um, Isaiah was actually quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament. And Isaiah is going to paint for us this picture of the holiness of God. And he uh, points us in, in Isaiah 53, which we may see in two weeks from now, he points us to the fact that Christ was actually coming, okay? And then we're going to jump into Revelation, okay? So Revelation was written by uh, the prophet John, and he wrote it about A.D. 95, so after Christ had already died, resurrected, and ascended, and John is sharing the gospel with people, and they throw him in prison, and his imprisonment, um, his imprisonment was in this small island, the island of Patmos, and it was there that the Lord gave him this vision, and it showed... Um, just the sin that was in the church. It showed the struggle with humanity. It showed the evil one himself and how he really had an onslaught against God's people. But it gave this great hope in the book of Revelation. And the hope was the return of Jesus Christ one day. So that's the intro into the authors. Two completely different time frames, two completely different people, but the language that they use is very similar. Jenna? I'm not even going to like ask you a bunch of weird questions like I normally do. And yes, yes. So if you don't mind, just read for us. Uh, very good. Thank you, Jana. And Jana actually gets to give announcements at the end of the service for the first time ever today. Are you nervous? Double whammy. You're going to do great. Let's go back and look at these passages again. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the details of them, but just to hit some highlights. So look at the Isaiah passage. It's on the front of your worship guide if you don't have your Bible with you. And if you need a Bible, my friend John Kuna has donated a bunch of Bibles, and they're in a box back on the back. So if you need a Bible, pick one up um, this morning. So here's this picture to Isaiah, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, so Isaiah reigned during four different kingdoms. So he actually was prophet while there were four kings in front of him. And as all kings and all kingdoms, this one ended. You know, only Christ lives forever, only his kingdom lives forever. Uzziah may have been a great king, but one day he died. So we see that. So every, every king and every kingdom will die. And he says, I saw. And that I saw is important because here we see the Lord revealing. The Lord doesn't have to show this, but he's choosing to reveal himself. So he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the robe 
uh, filled the room with his temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Now the seraphim were these, what they call them, the theologians call them like fiery angels. There was always fire or there were coals uh, burning in their hands. And these seraphim um, were above the altar, positioned above the throne of God, and they had six wings. Two, they covered their face. Um, Exodus chapter 33 says you can't actually look upon the Lord and live. So there's this holiness. He's separate. He's different from us. And then with two, they actually covered their feet. So at sermon prep, two weeks ago, it was Stephen Ermiger, who is one of us, who said, yeah, I love that because God is perfectly holy, but then the feet. Think about um, Jesus in the upper room um, with, with, with his disciples, and he gets the wash basin, and he goes around to each one of them one by one, and what does he wash? He washes their feet. The dirt of the feet, which uh, the, the dirt that was on their feet, which represents the sin. You know, we are a sinful people. We're sinful creatures. We cover our feet in shame. We cover our eyes, but God's God is separate and He's holy. Now, don't stay there because we're going to see in this series that the Lord is going to open um, up a door for us to be able to come into His presence. But we see right here that He's different. He is special and He is He is grand. Um, and they cried out, "Holy." Holy, holy, which we will come back to shortly. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, my daughter Colby, she hears this almost all the time. Unfortunately, she's 14 and she can't drive yet, so that means she gets to ride with me to school every morning. And probably three mornings you know, of, of the week, we will see the sun coming up or there will be the mountains or something. And I, I quote this, and she quotes it all the time. Last night we got out of the car and I said, the stars are amazing. And she began to quote this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. This is in Psalm 19. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, the Lord is always speaking. We're just not always listening. And if we will open up our eyes we will be able to see the God who is choosing to reveal Himself because that's what He's doing. It says the whole earth in this passage in Isaiah, the whole earth is full of His glory. You come down I-26 headed toward Irwin and you just see the mountains. You know, you, any morning you just see the sun coming up with the mountains. The whole earth is full of His glory. Romans 1.19 says it this way. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And it says, so we're without excuse. And this is why the Scripture can say that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. I know some atheists, and as I continue to talk to the atheists, the deeper we get into the conversation, eventually they get to the point that was, okay, I get it. I'm not really an atheist. I do believe in something, because yes, you're right. I, I know all this didn't come to be, but I don't like Christianity, and I don't like what I see in the church. I've had three conversations with three different people over the past week that have had horrible experiences with the church, the organized church, the religion, the morality. I had a conversation last night with people I'm trying to get and plug into this congregation, and they're struggling because they're like, oh, the expectations of religion and the church, and we just had this conversation and I'm like, oh, dear Lord, please, oh God, let that not be us. Teach us who you are and teach us how to love people well um, because he has revealed himself. And people want to know who he is, but sometimes what they see in the church is repulsive to them. 
May that not be so of us. And let's pray that it will not be. Now, let's jump to the passage in, in Revelation. And before the throne, so here's throne, and it's mentioned five times in this passage. He is king. So before the throne, there was, look at the descriptions, like crystal. It was like a lion. It was like an ox. It was like an eagle. It's too hard to describe well, what was the skylight like that day in New York City? Or what were the Grand Tetons like? Can you describe the Grand Canyon for me, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it's like, and we try. And that's what's happening here in Revelation. There's this, these descriptions um, connecting us to things that we do know and that we do understand in relating that to Almighty God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. He alone is eternal. And then the 24 elders, I just see the 24 elders, they took their crowns and they cast them before the feet of the Lord. And it was just a great reminder for me that each of you and me don't look to a pastor or, or the church or a leader for your hope. It's always Christ. And we're so unworthy. We haven't done anything that we deserve. The crowns that we have received, we will cast them before His throne one day. So remember, this is a six-part series, and we're taking our time with it. So last week we talked about the gospel overall, and if you all do not give the right answer, I am taking my Bible and I'm walking out the door, okay? Because I have failed miserably. What does gospel mean? Thank you, Mike. Yes. Right? Yes, stay here. The gospel means good news. Good news. Before we can understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news. That's next week. Before we can understand the bad news, we have to see the bad news in relationship to the eternal God. In a few short minutes, 20 minutes, we're going to try to paint that picture. There's no way that I can successfully do that. So I hope that you're seeing it in the Word more so than in my words. Point number one, and today there are three points. Last week was seven, today's three. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly holy. He is hallowed. He's consecrated. He's revered. He's honored. Um, one of the authors I was reading was, was saying, when you see holy, 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 it's almost like when you come in and you're talking to your family and you're explaining someone who was like really large, and you're like, he was huge, huge, huge. Well, that doesn't do the description, but you're, you're trying to emphasize a point. You know, he's holy, holy, holy. Or like, Kilby, I'll never, ever embarrass my kids from here, from the pulpit. So, Kilby which I'm probably doing right now, would say Scotty McCreary is amazing, amazing, amazing. Right? And I'm like, we get it, Kilby. We get it. He's amazing. And he's really not, but some people think that he is. But you emphasize, you're like, if I say this word three times, maybe they'll understand the point. God is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. And that's what Isaiah, and that's what John is trying to present to us. He is awesome. He alone is holy. He alone is eternal. He alone is king. He alone is perfect. 
and for us to spend eternity with him. And here's the kicker. We must be perfect too. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. That's from Jesus. And you say, well, who can? What hope do we have? And that's why we ask you to continue to come and to return as we unpack how it is possible for an unholy people to come before a holy God. So when the Word of God uses language that we understand, for example, in Isaiah 55, 19, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. So he puts the heavens in our minds in his attempt to show how large God really is. And we do that. Sometimes we look at the ocean and we can see God in the ocean because it's powerful and it's strong and it's just it's such a mystery to us. We do it with mountains. In the Old Testament, you had these gods and these idols, and the bigger the mountain was is how big their god was, little g god. And God in the Old Testament, this is why you can go when you, when you read the Psalms and you'll see it over and over and over, it speaks of God most high. And what they're doing is they're trying to use language that relates to the people so that they can understand, oh, so you're saying that your God is bigger than all other gods. He is God most high. One of the writers I read gave the description of the sun, and here's what he said. I don't remember who the source was where I would say it. It says, the sun is so bright and powerful that its energy radiates to the solar system. It's good. It's a helpful thing to be within the sun's energy, but the sun itself is so powerful that it's dangerous to get too close. So in Scripture, where we see people coming before the Lord, it's dangerous to get too close because He is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, commanding respect. Awesome. Singled out, consecrated, separate. So our translation of the word holiness comes from this Hebrew word, and it's pronounced k Dot, dosh, kadosh. Okay, so kadosh means to cut. Um, to be holy means to cut off or to be separate or separate from everything else and everyone else. So it means to be in a class of your own, distinct from anything that's ever existed or ever will exist. And kadosh has a second meaning to it, which is this. Listen to this. It also means to, to be entirely morally pure all the time and in every way possible. God is entirely morally pure at all the time and in every way possible. Paul David Tripp is one of my favorite authors. This is what he says about that. When you put these two elements of holiness together, you're left with only one conclusion, that the Lord of hosts is the sum and definition of what it means to be holy. He occupies a moral space that no one has ever occupied before, and as such, we have no experience or frame of reference to understand what is like, because there's nothing like Him. There's nothing like God. There's no one like God. And whatever we have in our minds as a picture of God, it is way too small. He is much greater than we think that He is. I know I say this a lot because I think it a lot. You don't have another breath in your lungs unless God deems it so. He's given life to the lifeless. He creates babies. You know, we see that. How in the world is that possible? We do not have the ability to create life. Even on PBS, I was, there was a documentary that says, here's how a baby is born, and then on one random day, all of a sudden, the heart begins to beat. 
Well, how does that happen? How does something begin to move that was immovable before if there is not a God? Our God in our minds is too small. The best that we can learn about God, we can learn through the Word of God. All right. Colette. I'm so glad the kids are here with us. So Colette, if you will, turn around this way so everybody can hear you. And Colette is going to read for us Exodus 15 and 11. Ah, very good question. Preston, you want to give a response? Thank you. Colette asked the question, who is like you? Preston gives the answer. There's none like God. Whatever image that we have in our mind or the thing that we could compare or would compare to God it will not do it justice. We see it in the burning bush when the Lord looks at Moses and says, in the burning bush, which is representing the Lord, you've come too far. Take off your shoes. Where you're standing is holy ground. We talked about it last week in Hebrews chapter 9, and I encourage you to go read this whole passage, verses 1 through 15. And it talks about how the high priest could enter into the holy of holies, but he could only do it once per year. And even then, he had to make purifications for his sins and the sins of, of other people, and even sins that he didn't even know about. Because God is holy, holy, holy. Continuing with Tripp, he says, there's even more to be said. God's holiness is not an aspect of who he is or what he does. No, God's holiness is the essence of who he is. It's like last week when I gave the illustration that the school itself is the gospel. It's not a separate course within the school building. The school is the gospel, and everything that we learn inside the school building relates back to the gospel. So this is the essence of who he is. So how is the holiness of God revealed? The only right answer would be in everything he does. Everything God thinks, desires, speaks, and does is utterly holy in every way. God is holy in every attribute and in every action. He's holy in justice, He's holy in love, He's holy in mercy, He's holy in power, He's holy in sovereignty, He's holy in wisdom, He's holy in patience, He's holy in anger, He's holy in grace, He's holy in compassion, and we could go on and on and on. Everything that God does and who He is is perfectly holy. It's separate, it's consecrated, it's cut off from the rest of us. It is not like us, and it is not the way that we would have acted. 1 Peter 1.6 gives us a hope of the gospel when it says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God makes a way for us to become a holy people. And as unholy people who are sitting here, knowing our sins and our struggle and our past and the guilt and the shame that comes with all of that, how can it be that God would declare us to be holy, that we could come into his holy presence. That is the essence of the gospel. So point number one, God is perfectly holy. Kids that are in here that are normally at Camp Redstone, point number one, God is perfectly holy. Say that. 
I heard a lot of female voices there. Do we not have any males in this congregation? Thank you. Point number two, I've already said it, this perfectly holy God chooses to make himself known to unholy people. He doesn't have to, but this holy God chooses to make himself known to holy people. In the same way that he chose to reveal himself to Moses, uh, Mount Sinai, burning bush, bush to Isaiah, when Isaiah says, I saw, he does the same thing to John in Revelation. Now, we read Revelation chapter 4, but in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1, at the very beginning of the book, this is what it says. It says, this is the revelation or divine um, supernatural revealing, making known. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. So God's given this revelation to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. It says he made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. We see a God who's choosing to reveal himself. I have information that needs to be made known to the people, and I'm going to use John on this little island to reveal some of who I am and what is going to take place to John. He desires to make himself known, and this is why I say we must look at the stars, we must look at babies that are being born, we must look at gloriously beautiful, perfectly blue days, skies, and recognize that God is choosing to reveal a bit of himself to us. These things cannot happen on their own. God is speaking. He is making himself known. There are primarily three ways that he's going to do that um, for us beyond what I've already mentioned, which is in his creation. He's going to do it through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. Do I understand everything in scripture? I do not. But I do know that reading the scripture every day has changed my life. And I know that I used to read the scripture every day or most days because I was supposed to. Check. I go to church. I'm supposed to read the Bible. And in one moment, when I thought that I was dying, it's a story in itself, I was laying on a hardwood floor, a dusty floor with basketballs in an old gymnasium, and I cried out to God for mercy. And I said, I have read some of your word. I don't understand it. I don't know who you are. If you do not reveal yourself to me, then I'm out. I did. I said that to God. And I said, I promise you, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to open up the Bible, but I'm going to do it not because I'm supposed to, because I am desperate for answers. I'm desperate for hope. And you must reveal yourself to me. Please, if you're there, you must. And I went home and I opened up the Bible, not because I was supposed to, but because I was desperate for God just like I am desperate for oxygen. And he revealed himself through the word of God, and he has not stopped since then. So the word of God, his son, he reveals himself through his son. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Because he says that the son is the exact representation of who God is. At one point, Philip looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, then that'll be enough. 
And Jesus says, oh, Philip, don't you know, I've been with you all this long. He who has seen me has seen the Father, and he who has seen the Father has seen me. This is God. He is God. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but He is God. And then lastly, He reveals Himself to the world, supposedly through His church. We must do better. I say that emphatically with tears in my eyes. We must do better of making Him known to people. Because when they look at the organized church and they see rules and regulations and morality, they go looking elsewhere. And wherever they go will never satisfy. We have the truth and we have the hope, but if it doesn't change the way that we love and that we live, and if we can't get ourselves uncomfortable for the gospel's sake, then we don't believe it. It must be different and it must be better. In my job, in Sam's job, anyone else who is leading a community group, we have one job to do in this church, and it is to make God big, to make Him known, and for us to get out of the way and decrease. He must increase, we must decrease. And if on a weekly basis we can say a little bit more, just a glimmer of the holiness of God, then that'll be a good thing. Because it is He, when we see that and get to know Him, He is the one that can and will change our lives. And He longs to because He wants to reveal Himself to us. And that leads to our last point. The last point, in response to seeing God in all of His holy perfection, all we can do and all we should do is worship Him. There's different ways of doing that. It's in song. We worship with obedience. We worship with our talents and abilities. We worship with our financial resources. We worship by encouraging one another. There's lots of different ways to worship, but we must worship. When we see God as He is, we must give a response. The book of Job is the oldest book written in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is. And the book of Job, great story. Job had everything. It was stripped from him. Job has friends that try to help him, encourage him. They gave a little bit of wisdom and a lot of foolishness. And at the end of the day, Job just got frustrated with the Lord. And the Lord spoke back to him. These are some of the examples of the things that were spoken in Job 38 through 41. You can read the rest on your own. So after Job complained a bit, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is that that darkens counsel by my words, by words without knowledge? Dress yourself for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it? Have you commanded the morning? since your days began and caused the done to know its place, I'm just picking and choosing. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? And he goes on and he goes on and he asks Job all of these questions 
And at some point, Job backs away and he puts his head down and he puts his hand over his mouth and he says, Oh God, I spoke of that which I did not understand. I shut my mouth. You are a God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And just like the seraphim, these angelic beings that are like this, and they have six wings, and they're hard to describe. They cover their eyes, and they cover their feet. There's this posture of humility. In response to the God who is holy, our posture should be one of humility. And where we think that we've achieved something in this life, may we take off our crowns and cast them before the Lord who gave us life. We couldn't do anything apart from Him. And notice in these passages in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His holiness. Holy, holy, holy is God who was and is and is to come. The point I'm trying to make here, they're having this conversation with one another before they even have it to God. And then they pivot to the Lord and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. The takeaway is that part of our worship is speaking the truths of God one to another. We need to do a better job of that. But then we need to say them to the Lord as well. God is perfectly holy. He chooses to reveal Himself to an unholy people. And when we see Him and begin to understand how holy He is, even if we only have a glimpse of that, all we can do is worship. Next week we're going to look at O. And it is the obstacle, it is the O-crud of sin. You can fill in the blank with another word if you choose to. I choose crud. But we're going to see the problem with sin and how it separates us from a holy God. But right now, let's just use our words. Let's begin to use our words and let's worship the Lord. Uh, Maddie, you guys can come on up. But as you do, everybody kind of just close your eyes. I invite you. I'm not commanding. I'm not telling you what to say. But I invite you if you want to. Just repeat after me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. If you want to, let's repeat that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. The seraphim, they're saying this over and over, day and night. They don't know what else to say as they stand in His presence and fly in His presence, but to say, let's say it again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Let's worship our holy God this morning.